And human beings were so good at in-grouping and out-grouping. Right. We're so like kind of biologically prone to do that, that it's hard to not fall victim to that narrative. Right. Well, I mean, but it, it, it's, it's, um, there's these, these things are always in dialogue, you know, the sense of in-grouping and out-grouping, but also the sense of community and, and collective action and, and collective empathy and solidarity. Those are also very integral to, to, to humanity. And it's just, it's our job to, help people rediscover that. And and during this time of crisis, where people see that whether we have Biden giving people stimuluses or Trump giving people stimuluses, this whole system is crumbling. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So in case you missed last week's episode, this is actually a continuation of um, our conversation with Sean Emery, who is a member of Socialist Alternative and also is a leader of or one of the leaders of the Philadelphia Free Palestine Coalition. And this episode is going to be kind of more talking about the solidarity and the, you know, the basically how we can build this world that we want to see um, both in the U.S. and in Israel, Palestine. So this is much more a conversation around that. Um, so hope you enjoy that. So so say they do that. Say they do come to that realization and then they they combine forces and try to overthrow the capitalist class. Is that basically possible to do nonviolently, or do you think that would basically look like a violent revolution? Well, then then you get the question of just like revolution in general, and this is a question right. uh, any, so that any applies part to everything, of the world. Yeah, right? Everything, yeah, exactly. Um, well, right. you know, I mean, that's true here. That's sure. up to the capitalist class, and uh, you know, uh, my guess is that they don't want to go down without a fight. Um, so if the working class. Uh, demands the capitalist class uh, relinquish their power um, uh, and the capitalist class do it peacefully, there should be no problem. But if the capitalist class decide to attack the working class, the working class acting in self-defense, I think, has the right to respond and uh, take what's rightfully theirs, which is, uh, uh, you know, the control of society, because it's the working class who actually um, uh, creates the things that we consume. Um, and it's them who should be controlling what happens to those things, deciding democratically how that's distributed, how that's produced, um, and, and, and how we consume it all. Um, so fundamentally, that's just a question of democracy. You know, if you have a dictatorship, uh, do you think it's, uh, right to, um, uh, respond to a dictatorship's brutality, uh, through, um, taking it head on? Um, I would say, yeah. And in, in the case of revolution, if the capitalist class refuses uh, to lay down its arms, I think the working class doesn't really have a choice. But again, that's for revolution everywhere. That doesn't just apply to Israel. No, yeah, definitely. And I feel like in my conversations about revolution as it applies to the United States, I feel like I've gotten a lot of pushback from poor people and black people saying, okay, it's all well and good for, you know, wealthy, educated people like you know, be like, oh, rah, rah, we should have a revolution. But who the right. fuck dies during those types of revolutions, right? right. Well, well, I mean, first of all, I think we're not in any situation close to, like, we can't just armor. Like, I mean, it's very stupid. No, sure, right? totally. Yeah. I think realistically like, that's not even a viable no, no. solution because, like, uh, at least in the U.S., like, all the Republicans are the ones who have the guns. Like, we're right. going to totally, get slaughtered, totally. right? <laughs> I mean, th th that is not anything my organization proposes for any immediate future. I mean, it, it, it's not even a question like asked it just because it's not even worth asking. Like, yeah, they got all the tanks. Like, what are we talking about? Like, um, we want to fight for, you know, our communities and fundamentally our communities are working class communities. And it is our interest that we are trying to protect. And 
you know, what happened to the, the black working class and historically it was very revolutionary. I um, mean, you, know, you had, uh, you know, the Black Panther Party, um, the black working class was very active at organizing in the South with the Communist Party, uh, sharecroppers unions, um, uh, you know, a, a very vibrant history of, 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 of um, uh, you know, trying to build a better world without racism. Um, and and, and uh, for many you know, decades, uh, a, a large sector of, of the black population um, uh, saw the answer to that as uh, socialism, communism, et cetera, et cetera. But you saw the United, you know, the, the, the U.S. state um, uh, saw its fundamental interests were against uh, socialism because it's a capitalist state run by a capitalist class and a capitalist class that's been indoctrinated with the um, uh, capitalist uh, spawned ideology of racism. So uh, not only uh, do the capitalists, um, uh, did the American capitalist class want to, uh, you know, um, crack down on any communists, any socialists, any workers organizations, they crack down even harder on the black workers organizations, black community organizations. So oftentimes, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, these, um, you know, I don't want to speak for the black community, but many, many of them feel like, you know, often like, oh, this or that is very privileged, uh, you know, to, uh, rhetoric. Yeah. yeah. I would say, um, uh, you know, fundamentally what I think the working class needs to do is reclaim the legacy of, uh, the black revolutionaries of all revolutionaries. Um, and that needs to come from the black community itself. And it is, and we're seeing a growth in, um, uh, socialist politics within the black community. I have, I have many comrades who are black and who articulate the agenda that fundamentally to address our issues as black people, they say, you know, it, the only way we can do that is by building working class organizations. Um, because it is the capitalist class that has created the system that has put, put us in this situation. Now, you know, no one leads into that by saying like, let's have revolution. Like, let's just get up guns and whatever. I mean, I know some people yeah. think that way, but, um, that's not like an agenda point anyone has. I mean, we're just not at that point. We, we don't even have working class organizations. You know, the union movement's decimated. Um, there is no left party, um, that exists out there with any legitimacy. Um, there, there are no institutions for us, um, uh, to even think about like exercising, um, our power in other than the little we have in the unions. And many of the unions aren't even very fighting. Um, right. So right now we're in a stage of just trying to build that infrastructure and, and the organization that I'm in thinks that the way we best do that is by building a revolutionary agenda, revolutionary program. And what we mean by that isn't guns and stuff like that. It's by posing the demands that get people asking the questions, okay, how can we achieve these demands? How can we do our best to achieve these demands? And as we fight for these demands, if we can win some of them, we can see how we win them and learn our tactics, tactics from that. Um, and oftentimes those tactics are like direct action, protests, uh, mass action, coordinated. Um, and the tactics that we, the, the demands that we can't win can only really be solved by um, dismantling the whole system. And uh, our demands aren't just ways we see to improve society, but they're also ways we can pose the question to ourselves, how can we overthrow capitalism? Because capitalism mm -hmm. won't give in to these demands. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the place where that uh, overlaps with uh like the governance structure is like i think some like a reasonable person could say that look we live in a liberal democracy right like we are ruled with the consent of the governed and if we truly didn't believe in what our state was doing we could vote these people out and we're clearly not doing that right, right. and 
how can you say that all of these, you know, all this action that's going on is illegitimate when we don't really we haven't seen a better system or whatever of governance that we in history yet basically i think a lot of people would probably argue we have seen that in europe but like you know the us is so you know its own beast right, right. so what i would say to that is what's less important to me at least is imagining some utopian world where like things are all better and things are all fixed what i think is more important is is to understand what role do we play in society uh what role do capitalists play in society or what role do you know our rulers play in society if you want to think in a more abstract sense um how do they uh um advance their interests how do we advance our interests and i think when you ask those questions the answer you get is okay well their interests are not ours um, their interests are at the expense of ours and that the only way we can uh, 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 actually exercise our interests, um, win our demands for uh, just improvements to our lives is if we do this ourselves, if we take control of society ourselves as working people. And that can be through building unions, building workers' parties. Um, and just building working class institutions to take on the capitalist class. It's fundamentally realizing uh, who has our backs and who doesn't. And mm -hmm. as we build our institutions that do have our backs, that can actually overthrow the system, we can figure out through our own democratic decision making, through our own interests, um, how to build that next society. Now, there are other examples of like um, uh, different policies and like the way they work, like economic planning in the Soviet Union had many failures, but it also had many successes in that like um, everyone had access to a pretty good education. Actually, math and physics and science uh, are still much better taught and understood in Eastern Europe than they are in the United States by, by a long shot, even these very poor countries that have been ravaged by capitalism since the end of the Soviet Union. That's still the case. I mean, Sinovac, the Russian vaccine. I mean, Russia is a very poor country and that is a very high quality vaccine, um, you know, on the level of Pfizer um, or Moderna. Um, that came from uh, the building of scientific institutions under a planned economy. Um, I mean, also back then you saw everyone had healthcare, everyone had schooling, everyone had food on their table. Maybe it wasn't a lot of food. Maybe it wasn't great food. And that was a real problem. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying the Soviet Union was a utopia and, and it objectively wasn't because it objectively failed. And it, it was uh, an impressive system in and of itself. But it provided a different model and it provided us a different way of like looking at how society can be organized. And there are things in there that we can take from. There are lessons we can learn. There are lessons we can learn from the cooperative movement. There are lessons we can learn from the, the fighting labor movements that built the social democratic states in Northern Europe. Even if I don't think those states solve the fundamental uh, problems that we're trying to address, and those states fundamentally rely on the, the capitalist system um, to create their sort of bastions of sort of more friendly, quote unquote, more friendly capitalism. Uh, the only reason why their capitalism was a little more friendly is because of that fighting labor movement. So there's all sorts of different models. There's no one perfect utopia, and I don't think we'll ever reach a perfect utopia. But fundamentally, we know our interests as working people, or at least we need to discover our interests as working people and realize that those interests are fundamentally opposed 
to that of the capitalist class. And we need to talk to everyone, whether they are working class or, you know, small business owners or uh, just freelancers or whatever. And we need to articulate the only way that we can achieve liberation collectively is by solving that class conflict and abolishing the difference between those who work and those who take. So tell me about your, you know, institution building that you're doing. Like, tell me about your coalition and like how it's interacting with all these other coalitions and how that what that looks like. So I'm a part of Socialist Alternative. Uh, that's a revolutionary socialist organization trying to build working class institutions for the socialist transformation of society. We got that. Okay. Um, the Philadelphia Free Palestine Coalition, the idea um, kind of came about, um, at least my idea with it, uh, my idea in getting involved with it. It kind of, uh, we, we started having a lot of meetings uh, after the time where United Arab Emirates and um, uh, Bahrain and um, uh, Morocco and Sudan uh, normalized relations with Israel. Uh, the Palestinian cause had been widely seen as dead, as like dormant. Um, it's not coming back. Um, but also the occupation was worse than ever. It was always getting worse uh, in the situation in Gaza. I described it previously. Um, and I fundamentally believe that the only people that can liberate Palestine are the Palestinians themselves, the Palestinian working class themselves, working in tandem with the global working class and including within that the Israeli working class, but being led by Palestinians. I sort of envision, uh, you know, along with my other comrades in the Philadelphia uh, Free Palestine Coalition, trying to build a base in Philadelphia where we can um, bring the Palestinian struggle into the struggle uh, for the liberation of the working class um, by connecting uh, what's happening in Palestine uh, to police brutality, to underfunding of public schools, to, um, you know, uh, environmental damage to, you know, these poor working class, like mostly black communities, communities of color. Um, bringing that issue into our own fight for self-liberation here in Philadelphia. Um, so we saw, you know, the only way we can really help the Palestinian people is by not joining together with them and some sort of like, oh, we care about you. Like, I'm so sorry for what's happening to you. Like, my government's doing a lot of bad things. I mean, it's good to be empathetic. It's good to think morally. And it's good to feel sort of uh, like sense of like, okay, responsibility. My government's doing this over there. But I think more powerful than that, more important than that is realizing it's not just about having sympathy or empathy for the Palestinian people. It's about having solidarity with them. And solidarity means that, you know, I care about you because I care about myself because, you know, I know the person who's stomping on my neck is the same guy that's stomping on your neck. So if I take that boot off yours, I'm going to be helped pushing the boot off mine. We're fundamentally linked in this. So our goal was to build that link between the consciousness of the working class people of Philadelphia, which I'm trying to build through my, you know, my, my participation in the socialist alternative. And we're also trying to develop in the Philadelphia Free Palestine Coalition, but inserting into that this, con this consciousness of solidarity, of working class solidarity with the working class of Palestine, with the Palestinian people, um, and using the power of the American working class to empower the Palestinian working class in their own uh, quest and struggle for liberation. Because they're the same thing, same struggle against capitalism. So how are you, what does that look like on the ground? Like, I know you're doing like a, a protest on Saturday. I know you're doing like those kinds of like rallies, but like what, you know, what else are you guys doing? Yeah, we, so right now we see our, um, uh, like the scope of our actions is mostly like 
um, raising awareness, raising knowledge. Um, because knowledge is one of the most important tools we have, one of the most important weapons we have. Political education is absolutely essential. You can't have a fighting organization without people who really understand the way the system works and how to fight it and how to liberate themselves. So we see ourselves as kind of a base for not only action, not only for like imagery and protest, um, but also for the propagation of knowledge and for the political education of um, the Philadelphia working class. Um, so uh, our first um, uh, our first action as like a more organized grouping, we originally had a demonstration. Uh, this was before I was involved with the organization. Uh, we originally had like protests against the Israeli attempt to annex the West Bank. But then since then, we've kind of tried to um, we, we had our first event um, in April talking about the situation of uh, COVID-19 in Palestine and the apartheid distribution of vaccines, of COVID tests, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and articulating in that the connection to capitalism. I mean, because that, that capitalist system that was creating the apartheid system uh, of distribution of, of COVID-19 uh, tests and vaccines, it was the same capitalist system that was giving COVID-19 tests to white communities, not to black communities. That was uh, giving them to, you know, rural Pennsylvania, but not Philadelphia. Um, uh, it, like that was what we were trying to do in our first meeting. And we're trying to keep on doing that. I mean, originally our plan was just to have sort of like a public meeting to talk about the, um, uh, the, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, the Nekbe, um, and connecting that to working class. But now it's going to be totally, not totally, but very different with this current revolution that's happening, um, in Palestine right now and trying to connect the struggles of the Palestinian people who are on strike, the Palestinian working class who's on strike, um, with the, with the struggles of the people here in Philadelphia. Um, so we have this event this Saturday, which is, uh, has now since passed after the airing of this episode. And then we also have an event on uh, June 12th, um, to further discuss the situation in Palestine and how it relates, um, uh, to capitalism. Um, so like when you say discuss, is it like like everyone's like sitting in a room together in this like town hall style or is it more like a demonstration? Like what, how does that what does that look like? It depends on the event. You know, I think at our, at our upcoming event, which will have now passed by the time you're hearing this listener, um, uh, we, we at least plan on now having like a, an open mic portion where I have a bunch of speakers speak and then anyone who wants to get on stage can give their thoughts and their contributions to the discussion. Um at our last event, we had uh, myself and another one of my comrades um, led uh, a um, uh, led the presentation on COVID nineteen um, in Palestine, and then we opened up um, uh, you know the room for uh, questions, comments, discussions. We had breakout rooms and like Zoom breakout rooms, and we had a big you know uh, discussion with like the 30 people that attended um and i anticipate we'll do similar things in the future you know again it depends event from event you know we may do some film screenings and have discussions after that um but uh you know we see discussion as a really important uh, part of the learning process because you know learning isn't just like you know the teacher pouring information into your head you know we're, as working class people like i said like just like the concept of solidarity it's not just about like uh feeling sympathy for one person or feeling something for one person. It's about seeing yourself intrinsically linked to this or that person. And so that's, we in, integrate that into the discussion process, into the learning process. It's not just more knowledgeable comrades teaching less knowledgeable comrades or visitors. It is us all learning together. Those who present are learning and those who are discussing are learning and those who are watching are learning. And because we're all learning together, you know, uh, there's, 
there's, there's too many things for all of us to know. And, uh, you know, the only way we can actually win this thing, the only way we, we can actually grow and, and mature and, and build our organizations, if we have an open dialogue for discussion and debate to clarify our perspectives on the current situation and the future. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in the grand scheme of history, this is a great time to be an organizer because so much of it does Absolutely. have to do with being able to get out the word to people and spreading knowledge. And we have better tools to do that than we ever have had before. Absolutely. The fact that we have social media and the internet is really, I think, a, a game changer in how much power like the literal working class has compared to the capitalist class because it is a function of like, you know, well, if you're if it's the landlords versus the tenants, it's a lot easier to organize your whatever, however many hundred landlords are in Philadelphia than it is to organize all of the tenants. Right. 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 And that inherently gives you kind of an edge as the, you know, people who are in the capitalist class. Right. 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 And so hopefully, like, you know, we're just going to have more and more tools that are going to enable people to do that coordination, you know, in spite of the fact that obviously working class people don't have as much time, don't have as money, like, right. you know, whatever, right. to do that kind of organizing. But we do have a lot of, like, pretty game-changing, you know, tools that it will allow us to coordinate better, right? Yeah, and I think you're seeing these, like, bursts, you know, like, the growth doesn't happen in, like, just, like, a sort of straight line that gradually goes up. It is zigzags, you know? You can have times where it looks like things are horrible, there's nothing that can change, and then it just all breaks, and things are, you know, everything's open, you know, uh, anything can happen, you know? I mean, look at Palestine, like I was just saying, like, I was just in a discussion with some Palestinian activists in Hebron a couple of weeks ago. And I was asking like, Palestine's in a bad situation. Like diplomatically, Israel is getting all these victories. The occupation is getting worse and worse. Like, how are you guys going to deal with that? And they're like, man, like, I don't know. It's so bad. We can't do anything, you know? <laughs> but now you see it's, it's all open. I mean, Israel can't handle these protests. This is the greatest threat to, to, to the, the colonization of, of, of Palestine since, um, I mean, since the first intifada, I would say, even before that, there had never been a general strike in Palestinian history. Um, uh, like you, 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 you can't find a precedent for that until you go back to like 1936 or something like that. And that was before the founding of the state of Israel. And that was actually a very fundamental moment for the Zionists. They, they kind of secured their fate by suppressing that re revolt back then. But you're seeing Palestinian people, you know, uh, rediscover that energy, rediscovering that potential for an actual victory here. And, 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 um, if you look at the human rights organizations, Human Rights Watch, B'Tselem, B'Tselem is the largest and most renowned Israeli human rights organization. They're saying, I mean, back just, you know, a couple months ago, they were saying two state solution, two state solution. They only talked about human rights abuses in Gaza and the West Bank. Now, the words you're hearing from B'Tselem and Human Rights Watch are very different. Human Rights Watch says, quote, there will not quote, but paraphrasing, there is a regime of, now this is a quote, Jewish domination, unquote, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. That there is a, there is a system of apartheid where Jews have the upper hand, whether you live in, quote, Israel proper, whether you live as a settler in the West Bank, um, or Jerusalem, and Jews do not, or Palestinians do not have the same rights as Jews. Non-Jews do not have the same rights as Jews. That is a fundamental break in the consciousness of, of these centrist organizations. Human Rights Watch is not a liberal or lefty radical organization by any means. But Salem, maybe for Israel, it is a bit like that. Um, but 
you know, this is a huge change in consciousness. I mean, the same thing can happen here in the United States. I mean, and I mentioned before in, 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 um, uh, South Africa, you know, um, just a few years before apartheid ended, anti-apartheid activists were hopeless. I mean, just like one or two years before, same thing happens here. So as we're in this situation, you're right, we're in a very conducive situation for the growth of revolutionary politics. Um, and right now we're, we're in kind of a sort of phase where we're not totally like, um, all out in the streets, but we're not totally dormant either. You're seeing this kind of growth, um, and this, this, um, uh, greater unrest. And like I said, we're just coming out we're at, at the tail of the largest protest movement in American history. And that came out of nowhere. I mean, who thought all these white people would go out protesting for, you know, uh, you know, the liberation of black people and Malcolm X would have never imagined that would happen in America. Um, so, I mean, the, the growth of working class politics, the potential for revolutionary change, um, is uh, much greater than we think. And, and it's not this sort of straight path or this sort of like consistent, you know, uh, bar graph or like consistent like graph going up. It is, uh, you know, there's a lot of forces at work and you can see things break very fast. I mean, there's a quote by Lenin and whether or not you like the Bolsheviks, whether or not you even like socialism, whether or not you're a, a socialist or a capitalist, I think this is a very true quote in history. He said, um, there are, uh, decades where nothing happens. And then there are weeks where decades happen. And I think if you look at the history of the world, that, 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 that reigns, uh, true for its entirety and, uh, especially true now, um, in this period of extreme insecurity of the capitalist system, even the most ardent supporters of capitalism are seeing there is something seriously wrong and no one knows how to fix it. But luckily we do as socialists. And the only way you fix it is by building a revolutionary working class movement to overthrow the system and build social transformation. Did you feel like the pandemic has um, spurred, I don't know how long you've been involved in your organization, but do you think that the pandemic has spurred a lot of interest in people being more interested in, in socialism and joining SA and all that? 100%, like 1000%. Um, I mean, I joined, so I, um, yeah, I mean, so my story of joining SA was I was very heavily involved in the Bernie Sanders campaign. I wasn't uh, employed, but I just did a lot of volunteering, did a lot of phone banking, did a lot of texting. I ended up traveling to Arlington, Virginia for Super Tuesday to campaign and canvas there. Um, and then after uh, he had a very disappointing night on Super Tuesday, um, I uh, went, uh, I, I was able to find a very generous donor on Twitter to uh, fly me and uh, a friend out um, to campaign um, in Michigan in the Arabic speaking communities um, to, uh, you know, uh, you know, reach uh, voters who don't really speak much English, but do have American citizenship and want to vote for Bernie Sanders. Um, and that experience really radicalized me. But then, because I felt like I was a part of this greater cause, I was involved in something really important. And this was the chance to have a fundamental break in the logic of the way the United States organizes capitalism by, by having someone like Bernie Sanders just totally mess up the whole political system. I mean, he wouldn't be able to enact his agenda because they would all have been against him, but he would have made conditions more interesting for building a revolutionary alternative. Um, and then it failed. And then as soon as it failed, COVID-19 happened and the world was falling apart. And it's like, what do you do? And I was just like, well, I, I, I wasn't even despairing at Bernie. I was just like, well, okay, I have, this just can't stop. I have to, I have to keep working. Like if I'm serious about this, just, I can't stop this. 
So I looked for different organizations, and that's what I found with SA. I think when I joined SA, there's probably about 50 or 60 members in the Philadelphia area. And now there's uh, quite a lot more. I don't know the exact number, but it is a lot more than uh, 50 or 60. And a lot of those came um, uh, uh, during the um, Black Lives Matter rebellion. Um, uh, you know, during this sort of new wave of radicalization of consciousness in the young working class uh, and a lot of young black working class as well. Um, and we continue to see that. I mean, we have so, I mean, right now, like, um, uh, we could be recruiting a lot more people. <laughs> we really could be. Um, it's just too difficult. It's hard. <laughs> um, uh, like, and you're seeing the growth of DSA, um, you're seeing uh, the growth of other parties, like the Party of Socialism and Liberation, a party that I have a lot of differences with, that my organization has a lot of differences with um, on questions of uh, like uh, imperialism and questions of what uh, different countries' versions of socialism were. Um, but nonetheless, you're seeing waves of people um, feeling like they have to do something and they got to get involved in some organizations. And it might, have, it might not even just be manifesting itself in these socialist organizations. It's also in... Groups like the Sunrise Movement, you know, or if not now, why are all these young American Jews willing to speak out for Palestine now? Um, this is a real change in the way people are looking at the world. Um, and that's just been accelerated by the pandemic by a long shot. I have a lot of hope, to be honest. I don't have hope in the Democratic Party, but I have a lot of hope in the working class because I know but just from talking to them on the street that when you pose the right questions, working class people like, why is it that? I'm forced to live on like, you know, welfare. Why is it that I'm forced to take this like horrible job that I don't like? Or why is it that like I have to devote, you know, 40 hours of my week to just something I don't care about, whether or not I make good money from it? These are questions people are asking. And when, when, when you just tell them that you're allowed to ask this question, you're, you're, you're allowed to think like this, that this is a legitimate uh, political thought uh, to engage with. People are very receptive. It's, it does not take a lot to convince them. And I would say it, it, uh, it's not even just people who consider themselves liberal. A lot of people who consider themselves conservative. I have, I have a, 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 like I mentioned, I have a Trump supporting friend. And every time I talk to him about socialism, communism, Black Lives Matter, Palestine, everything, he'll tell me what Carl, Tucker Carlson says, why he thinks that's right. Uh, he'll tell me what Fox News says and why, why he thinks that's right. I tell him what I'll say. And he says, I think you're totally right. I don't know why there's anything different between us. And, and I say, it's because we're made to think it's a division of culture. Like that, that, that the difference between, you know, being a Democrat and being a Republican is basically what team you're on, what color you rep, you know, what, what, what set of values you say you adhere to. And human beings were so good at in-grouping and out-grouping. Right. We're so like kind of biologically prone to do that, that it's hard to not fall victim to that narrative. Right. Well, I mean, but it, it, it's, it's, um, there's these, these things are always in dialogue, you know, the sense of in-grouping and out-grouping, but also the sense of community and, and collective action and, and collective empathy and solidarity. Those are also very integral to, to, to humanity. And it's just, it's our job to, help people rediscover that. And and during this time of crisis, where people see that whether we have Biden giving people stimuluses or Trump giving people stimuluses, this whole system is crumbling. No one is addressing the fundamental problems. And th not those who think you can just solve it by closing the borders and not those who can solve it by thinking they can just, uh, uh, you know, introduce diversity seminars in, in uh, um, like, uh, 
you know, at your job, while also maybe giving you a couple extra dollars here on there through this or that social program. Those are not answering the fundamental questions that we need to be asking. And when we just tell people that these are questions that you can ask, it's very easy for people to see that neither the Democrats nor Republicans have those answers. And that the, the only people that have those answers are us as working people. So are you in favor of, of trying to get like a third party in power in the United States? Or do you think that there's a like, I don't know, do you think that's viable or are you in favor of something else? No, I, I think that's totally viable. I think, okay. um, uh, you know, I don't uh, I, I think um, the role of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ilhan Omar, um, Cory Bush, they've done many great things. I think they're definitely a very positive force um, uh, in this development of, 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 of working class consciousness. However, we see there's a lot of limits to what they can do in Congress. You know, they're not, many of them are not really willing to take on Nancy Pelosi and exercise their leverage. I mean, right now, the, 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 the majority for the Democrats in the House is very, very thin. And the, 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 the squad of like, I think like six people roughly, they could easily get their Block leverage by blocking Democrats, whatever. Yeah. yeah they totally. could easily do that. But because of the institutional character of the Democratic Party, um, it's really hard for them to have that courage. What they need right, to do. They could, they could be Joe Manchin. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But the thing is, Joe Manchin has a whole capitalist class behind him telling him, like, do whatever you want, man. You got this. Please just, you know, just do you and you'll be fine. Nothing will happen. Yeah. Whereas these, you know, the, 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 the squad, they say they fight for working class interests. And I think they genuinely do fight for working class interests. What they don't have are working class institutions, whereas Joe Manchin has capitalist institutions that back him. There are, there are working class people that support these candidates, but there is no organization with a program with power that can exercise um, democratic decision making over the political tactics that the squad is taking. They don't have any of that because the Democratic Party, by its institutional nature, um, hinders that. Um, so that's not to say that these politicians are bad people. And like I said, I think they're, they're doing a lot of good. Um, but they're not able to really, um, exercise what, what the, 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 the change and, and, and the, the, um, the change not only in policy, but also consciousness, um, in how we can build change with their, uh, position in the Democratic Party. So I think you know, what my organization is fighting for is a mass workers party. Um, so we don't think our organization is the mass workers party. You know, we have roughly 1000 members in the United States. I, I, as far as I can last remember, um, uh, we see ourselves as a sort of revolutionary party trying to like push working class consciousness further and further towards revolutionary conclusions. But we think there needs to be a big party where working people can get together institutionally and collectively, democratically, um, through their working class built and governed institutions, decide how to, um, you know, tread that alternative path. Um, and, you know, if you look at the way elections are done in this country, you know, you have two parties and oftentimes they, they have um, very close elections. These elections are won by only a couple percentage points. And so if you run a third party candidate, maybe they won't win. But they're able to, de to, to determine the, the results of elections. And that's going to affect the way the debate is held. If the Democrats feel scared by a, a, an insurgent working class party that can uh, undermine its power, 
they're going to be looking at AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Itlaib, uh, uh, Cory Bush as a lot more reasonable figures to listen to than these crazy radicals. So I think um, uh, by having a working class party that, that can uh, fight the Democrats and the Republicans together, that'll actually make the debate within the Democratic, Democratic Party much more favorable to working class interests. You know, in, in all these European countries, they have communist parties, they have socialist parties. And that makes it really hard for some of the more moderate left parties to, uh, you know, go about with uh, some of the more uh, drastic capitalist measures they want to take. Of course, they've been able to uh, in many different crises they've had in Europe. But there are, you know, like in, in the Scandinavian countries or um, elements in like France, it's very difficult for some of these countries to actually take that path of full austerity and full attack on working people because those third party, because those working class institutions are so strong. We need that in the United States. It may not be able to win the presidency or win a majority in Congress, but we don't actually think that's our goal. Our goal is to win the working class. And that's where actual decisions are made. That's where actual things are made, like physical things that we consume and we, we use. That's what they're all made. So if we win the working class, we win the whole society because, you know, we're the ones who have the power to control it. Well, it seems like every single election, though, there's this rhetoric around, oh, my God, this is the most important election of all time. Right. You can't justify voting third party. Right. You are going to hand the election to Trump. Right. That's right. like the narrative this past election. Right? right. And there's never to me, it doesn't seem like there's ever going to be a time in which that's not the narrative. Well, I, what I would say is um, with the last election, my organization called for a third party vote for um, Howie Hawkins. We didn't really go so hard on that. Um, we didn't think that was the most crucial issue. Um, uh, about like who was you know you were going to vote for, um, but it's what we what we decided. I will say personally, I voted for uh, Joe Biden, um, and the reason why is I think uh, Noam Chomsky made a, a very good point. Basically, like you know, one of these guys is going to win, and they're both very similar. They're both capitalists. However, one is dedicated to sort of accelerating towards their climate destruction, and the other one maybe will go there a little more slowly. So if we're trying to organize an alternative, we'd rather you know be around someone who's not necessarily trying to catapult us off a cliff. That was my position, my, my personal position as an individual. Now, I don't think that those questions need to be asked um, at every local race or every state race. I think mm-hmm. at, in, in these local elections, in, in the Philadelphia City Council, um, in the Pennsylvania State House, in the State Senate, um, in uh, local municipalities – Absolutely. We need to be running as many third party candidates as possible. We need to be doing uh, as much organizing as, and as much institution, working class institution building as possible to show the working class that neither of these parties work for us. And then maybe we can get someone in Congress and that person in Congress won't have to worry about whatever the Democratic Party says because they're not a member of the Democratic Party. And like I said, if you get some crazy radical commie in Congress, that's going to make AOC look a lot more reasonable. If, especially if that commie is getting a lot of popularity among young people, the Democrats are going to realize, all right, well, we got to do something to save our reputation. So you listen to AOC, you listen to Cory Bush, you listen to Rashida Tlaib, you listen to Ilhan Omar. You know, um, third parties are 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 not uh, the uh, the sort of um, uh, inhibition to uh, change that I think many um, uh, you know young radicalizing. Uh, People who sort of come out of like liberal politics think they are. Um, I think that comes out of a lot of pessimism, um, that we can't 
make these victories. You know, I, I, in Socialist Alternative, we have an independent um, uh, city councilwoman um, in uh, Seattle who's a member of our organization. Her name is Kshama Sawan. Um, in 2014, she was elected. This was before Bernie Sanders was a national figure. She was running as an open revolutionary socialist um, in the headquarters of Amazon, the city that headquarters has the headquarters of Amazon. She ran in 2014 on a $15 minimum wage. Back then, that demand was extremely radical, and it was won in Seattle. And now, 2021, that is the platform of the Democratic Party. That's what Joe Biden at least claims to stand for. He's not going to fight for it, but he actually claims he supports a $15 minimum wage. That wouldn't happen without our revolutionary working class movement out in Seattle electing uh, Shama Sawan. You know, just the city councilman really helped push this movement that now is, you know, getting our demands on the Democratic Party platform. Just last summer, in the midst of this uh, Black Lives Matter rebellion, we were able to pass a tax on Amazon in Seattle City Council um, for $240 million a year um, to build public housing and uh, green uh, infrastructure for public housing. And Seattle is a city going through a a really horrible housing crisis um, right now. This is what can be done with a third party. There's no reason why this just needs to be in Seattle. This could be in Philadelphia. This is why my organization campaigned for um, a council member, um, uh, Kendra Brooks, who's a member of the Working Families Party, because we saw that, um, you know, we need to build and expand the struggle for this new third party, whether it's us, whether it's the Working Families Party, whether it's DSA candidates running as independents. We want to build that mass working people's party, the party of the working class. And so we want to build this coordination between people like our representative Shama Sawant, Kendra Brooks, and other DSA um, socialists um, in various legislatures. Um, and I have to say right now, the capitalist class, uh, they can't handle Shama Sawant. They've uh, thrown millions of dollars at her um, at primarily primary challengers, money that's never been seen in local politics before in Seattle. She's defeated everyone. And right now, they're trying to recall her from office. Um, uh, by, you know, having, by, uh, throwing these like really stupid allegations that she, um, basically allegations, uh, that, that, that she was, um, uh, committing wrongdoing by participating in, uh, the protests, um, during the Black Lives Matter rebellion. Um, they're total BS charges and they're only doing it, um, so that she can be, uh, forced towards a reelection in a non-election year. So the turnout will be low. And so she can be taken out of office. And the last person that was taken out of office in a recall in Seattle was a socialist city councilwoman from 1912, I believe. So, you know, our politics scares the shit out of the capitalist class. And we've shown in Seattle how much we can win just by having that revolutionary optimism, just by being willing to go out there and talk to work people and organize them for their demands. Out there, working people in Seattle, they love her. And we're polarizing the city of Seattle. These liberals that say, yeah, Black Lives Matter, believe science, uh, love is love. They hate her They the, the, because it's no longer becoming a cultural divide. They see that they're dividing the city of Seattle between the, those whose interests are with the capitalist class and those who, whose interests are with the working class, not between these stupid cultural barriers. And... Um, that, you know, we've demonstrated with our, uh, you know, victory after victory that that politics has resilience. And there's no reason why that politics uh, can't be articulated in one in every city across this country and in every city across the world. Yeah, I think that's an amazing message because I think so much of it does 
literally so much of the legitimacy literally is predicated on how optimistic people are that it could be viable yeah right yeah it's a self-fulfilling prophecy right. like optimism is self-fulfilling and pessimism is self-fulfilling totally i talk to my right? parents all the time and they hear how horrible i say the world is how bad capitalism is how bad america is how bad the democratic party is how joe biden's not going to guess anything and say how are you so pessimistic how do you think the world's so bad and then i pose the question to them how are you so pessimistic? How do you think this is all the world can be that we have to settle for this? You know, I think fundamentally the socialist view, this critique of capitalism, this view about how bad the world is, is a fundamentally optimistic view because we know that it can be so much better. I have belief in humanity, belief in the working class that we can build this better society. It's not out there and we can do it in a very short amount of time. You know, like I said, you know, uh, decades where nothing happens, weeks where decades happen. That could be next week. You never know. Thank you again um, for talking with us. This has been a really, really like heavy, but also very uplifting conversation, I feel like, at the same time. <laughs> Um, we always kind of like to end, um, on a light note. So one of the questions that we've been asking our guests is after, you know, the lockdown is over, is there anything that you're looking forward to doing? Well, <laughs> um, it's funny because, uh, at the end of the lockdown, I mean, it's kind of ending now. I mean, I'm fully vaccinated. I'm not really caring about this stuff. I'm hanging out with friends. I'm doing all that. I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, but in September, I'm going to be uh, traveling to uh, Jordan to study Arabic. And they don't have the same amount of vaccines they got here. So I assume I'll be traveling back to lockdown um, while I study Arabic. So um, I don't know. You'll have to ask me that question in, a, in nine <laughs> months. If you could just tell people um, the socials for your group, um, that would be awesome. As far as my organizations, um, I recommend that people interested in uh, the Philadelphia Free Palestine Coalition follow us on Instagram at Free Palestine Philly. Um, on Facebook, we're called the Philadelphia Free Palestine Coalition, um, just that page. Um, and check out the website socialsalternative.org and uh, subscribe to our newspaper, buy our newspaper, come to our tables on the streets, uh, 40th and Market. Um, uh, there's a number of locations we uh, uh protest at and like socialist alternative on facebook like philadelphia social alternative on facebook see what events we have coming up what uh, political education we're doing um what discussions we're having uh yeah check us out there awesome so if you want to follow us um we're i'm the villain pod at that's our facebook that's our gmail that's our instagram and yeah that's it thanks